The thousand years of the millennium. What is this millennium? What is hell? Where is hell? Uh, These are two topics that we're going to tackle today. So go get your Bibles and we'll be right back. Welcome back, my friends. Before we begin our message proper, we're going to open up with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us, God, to be able to come before your throne and to study your word. I ask you, God, to be with each and every one of us and send your Holy Spirit and give us spiritual discernment. And may the words that I speak here not be the opinions of man, but your words, Father, that come through the Bible. We ask you to be with each and every one of us and open our hearts and our minds, Father. Give us an open mind, Lord. And I ask you, God, to be with anyone who has any, any problems in their lives, God. Be with them and touch them and let them know that you will you will get them out of this. Thank you for all you've done for this new year, Lord, that's to come. When then we give every day to you. This we pray in your Son, Jesus. Amen. Hello, friends. Welcome back and Happy New Year. Here we are. This is January the 7th. Uh, 2023. And today's topic is, where will you spend the millennium? Our topic today is going to cover the thousand year period that's called the millennium. And the one thing I want you to remember is this, that you should plan right now, right now at this very moment to spend the millennium sitting with Jesus on his throne in heaven, because that's what he has in mind for you and me. It sounds exciting. Well, I'm going to share with you today, right out of the Bible, how you can get prepared right now to spend the millennium with Jesus in heaven, my friends. But before we go any further, let's remember our themes for these studies, okay? If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not in the Bible, it's not for me. Now, in the 1930s, there was a group of scientists looking at charts and they were studying these trends and they concluded that the safest place in the coming decades would be the island Pacific Ocean of an island, of course, in the Pacific Ocean near Japan. And guess what this island was? The place they chose as the safest in all the world was Okinawa. Okinawa, my friends. Now, guess what? This turned out to be the location of some of the fiercest fighting of World War II. The last major military offensive that happened by the, that happened by the Allies before the war ended, my friends. And guess what? As many as 150,000 civilians perished in the crossfire. Yeah, making predictions is pretty difficult. And the one thing can people make predictions about is that they always do, they always try to predict, is how our world is going to end. You know, and there's all sorts of books and there's all these articles, these films, that they've made predictions how the world's going to end. Some have predicted, guess what? Nuclear war. That nuclear war is going to wipe us all out. Others, of course, have the fear of chemical and biological Armageddon. Now, one of the most famous scientists in the world, the late Stephen Hawkins, Dr. Stephen Hawkins was talking about this genetically engineered viruses. I'm not going to say any more about that. But I don't think, this is what he says, he says, I don't think the human race will survive the next thousand years. Yeah, friends, there's a lot of speculation about the future, particularly about how the world's going to end. But I want you to know that there is good news, too. Now, here is some of the good news right from your Bible. Amos 3.7 says this, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. Yes, the Lord reveals his plans to the prophets. And the prophets, 
they write it down, and they show us what the Lord has revealed to them. The future of our world is revealed in your Bible, my friends. So if you believe in the Bible, you don't need to worry about the future. God has, through His Word, revealed to you and me what the future holds. And if you love Jesus, guess what? You don't have to worry about a thing, my friends. You don't have to worry about any of this stuff, but you do need to get ready. In Luke 21, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down by, with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day comes on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now who here wants to know about the end of the world and how it's going to happen? More importantly, who here wants to be prepared for this awesome time? I mean, I know I do. And I'm sure you do too. Now, therefore, now, it's very important to understand that our study today is going to be very important. It's very important to understand our study, my friends. Now, in an earlier study, we looked closely at the second coming of Jesus, and we noticed there was a number of things, okay? So I'm going to go over some of them right now. Now, listen to the, to the words of Jesus. This is his own word describing the manner of his return. And this is in Matthew 24, verses 25 through 27 and verse 30, okay? So make sure you write these scriptures down so you don't say that Robert made these up. This is what it says. This is Matthew chapter 24, verses 25 through 27 and verse 30. See, I have told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. I, it says here, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then will the sign of the Son of Man appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It doesn't sound like some sort of seeker, does it? It doesn't sound like any kind of a seeker return. No, on the contrary, my friends, Jesus' return will be like lightning flashing across the sky. It's going to be dazzling, my friends, and guess what? Everyone is going to see it. Now, John's description goes like this. Revelation 1, verse 7. This is what John says. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye, my friend, everyone, everyone on earth is going to see him coming. Now, next we learn that every ear is going to hear him. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, okay, this is what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus gives that shout, when, he, that, when the trumpet of God gives a blast? It's going to be loud enough. It's going to be loud enough to wake the dead. You're probably thinking, the dead? Yes, even the dead. Listen, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus... We shall always be with the Lord. Now, did you understand this text? Christ is going to descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise. The dead will rise, my friends. And I always tell this to my family that I like to be near the cemetery when Jesus comes back so I can see my mother, my stepmother, pop out of the graves. I mean, it's going to be wonderful to see all those people popping out of their graves with these brand new bodies. Yes, friends. No matter how powerful death may seem right now, when Jesus comes back, guess what? 
All those who've died believing in him are going to come back to life. And what a wonderful day, my friends, that'll be. Amen. But who will rise first? The living or the dead? Let's look at our text again. For this, we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The Bible makes it crystal clear that at the second coming, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive will be taken up into the air and forever be with the Lord. So who rises first? If you're thinking, that's right, the dead. And who rises second? That's right. If you're thinking this, it's the living. Now that's a great hope, my friends, that we can all have in Jesus. Remember something, the grave is not the end. It's just a stop on the way to eternity with Jesus, my friends. This is the promise of heaven. This is when Jesus fulfills the promise that he made to the disciples and to us centuries ago when he said this, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is found in John 14, verses 2 and 3. That's a promise that I want for myself. I want to live every day of my life knowing that if this day were my last, that if I was killed in an accident or struck down by a deadly disease, that when Jesus returns, he's coming back to get me, to take me to my mansion. Wouldn't you like to have that promise too? Of course you would, of course. And you can. This wonderful event of the dead in Christ coming back to life is called in the Bible the first resurrection. Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6 says, This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. If the Bible, my friends, talks about the first resurrection, can we assume that there's also a second? Let's see what the Bible says. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, verses 28 through 30. Now this text, this text is describing what happens to those who have said no to Jesus, but who are alive when he returns. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says this, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, friends, it might seem harsh, but remember that Jesus died for every one of us. But guess what? We must accept his sacrifice for us. If we persist or insist to be in our rebellion, if we reject his free gift of eternal life, there's nothing that he can do. God is the God of mercy. But for those who, who spurned him, who, who have rejected him on the second coming, guess what? It's going to be the day of wrath. The Bible says this, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. 
and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Revelation 6, verse 15 through 17. Who indeed will be able to stand? Those, my friends, who have accepted Jesus and covered that, and of course are covered by his blood, are the ones that are going to be able to stand. They have nothing to be afraid of. They have nothing to fear. Indeed, for them, it's going to be the great day of salvation that they've been waiting for. Isn't that what you want in the second coming for you? Okay, so what have we seen? Well, we've seen that Jesus comes and the dead in Christ rise first, and, and then those who are alive who have accepted Jesus will rise next to start this wonderful journey to the mansions that Jesus prepared for us in heaven. Now, are you looking forward to checking out your mansion? I know I am, my friends. Now, on the other hand, there are those who reject the Jesus offer of eternal life. His return to them is going to be a fearful time of death and destruction. As the earth becomes a desolate wasteland, the Bible says the wicked will die. Isaiah 26, verse 21 says, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. No one is going to bury those that rejected Jesus. You're probably wondering why. Well, because guess what? There's no one left to do so. The righteous are in heaven with him, and the earth is, is just desolate. It's empty. It's a wasteland. The prophet Jeremiah pointed to a time. He pointed to this time. This is what he says. In Jeremiah 4, verse 23 and 25, this is what it says now. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. And I beheld, and indeed there was no man. Jesus tells you of me today, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. That's Revelation 22, verse 12. Now look at what happens to Satan after Jesus' second coming. Then, the Bible says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Now, at Jesus' second coming, Satan is not destroyed. No, instead, guess what? He's locked in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. So what does that mean, to being locked in a bottomless pit for a thousand years? What does it mean? Well, the Greek word bottomless pit, abusos, is the same word used to describe the state of the earth before God created life here. It was a desolate and lonely place. And guess what? Satan is stuck here. He's bound on the desolate earth with no humans to deceive anymore. He's got to be so bored because he's a workaholic, my friends. He doesn't stop. Now, though the Bible doesn't say so, we can imagine without anyone to deceive that Satan will have a lot of time to think about what, what he did to ponder the results of his rebellion. Now, how much time does the Bible say that he's going to be bound for a thousand years? But what about the redeemed? What happens to them? Now, as we saw at the second coming, the dead in Christ and those who are alive when Jesus returns are all taken to heaven to be, to be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. 
This is in Revelation 20, verse 6. So we see that while Satan is bound a thousand years, the righteous are going to be sitting with Jesus on his throne, my friends, for a thousand years. But what does this mean, the saints will reign with Christ for a thousand years? What does that mean? It means this. It means the saints are going to be involved in the work of judgment. Revelation 20, verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. You're probably thinking judgment is going to be committed to us. Well, think about it. Why not? I mean, didn't Paul once say, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2 and 3 says this. And that's going to be the case, my friends. That's really going to be the case. And by the way, when you get to heaven, you're going to notice a lot of people that aren't there. I mean, um, you know, sadly, possibly even loved ones. You're going to want some answers. You're going to want to know why they're not there. And you're going to want to say, has God been fair or not? You're going to get all the questions answered about that during the millennium, my friends. Look at this text here. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Judge nothing until when, he says? Well, until the Lord comes for that time, then he will reveal to us the hidden things of darkness and make manifest counsels or secrets of the heart. When everything can be known, then you, then you, my friends, and I will be in the position to judge if God has been fair. You know, God wants us to get all the questions answered. He wants us to be satisfied with the outcome. Well, how come, you're going to be asking, how come so-and-so is here? Uh, He was an awful person. And they're going to think, oh, okay, he accepted Jesus as a Savior. Okay, who would have thought? And you're going to be thinking, but what about Aunt Mary? Why isn't she here? She was a wonderful person. Oh, the angel's going to look, he's going to open, the, open up the judgment, look at the books you're going to see. Oh, okay. Aunt Mary wasn't so wonderful after all. Oh, yeah, she refused to accept Jesus. That's pretty sad. But when all of our friends all over have had an ample opportunity, my friends, for all these questions to be answered, then we'll be able to shout with, with all the other saints and say this, Revelation 16, 7, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So what happens next? The Bible says this, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Revelation 20, verse 5. Now who are the rest of the dead? It's the wicked. They are now resurrected at the end of the thousand years. Remember, the Bible talks about the two resurrections, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation, John 5, 29. So we see two resurrections here. Now, the first happens at the second coming, and we've already looked at that. And this text is talking about the other one. Jesus describes the second resurrection this way. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So what happens next? Jesus describes the second resurrection this way. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Satan's bound for a thousand years now. Now, he's unable to deceive nations because guess what? There's no nations to deceive. 
Now, after the thousand years, he's unbound and the unrighteous are brought back to life. So guess what? Satan now has people to deceive. Look at the text here. Revelation 20, verse 7 and 8 says this. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. The lost, my friends, the lost resurrected face their final judgment. And here's the Bible's description of this event here, okay? Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9. A battle against the saints and the beloved city, my friends. Now, what city is that? Revelation 21, verse 2 says this. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, at the end of the thousand years, the holy city, the New Jerusalem, come down from heaven to earth which is going to be the eternal home of the the saved, my friends. And the dead, now resurrected, they try to take it by force. They try to take by force that what could have been theirs if if they would have inherited by their faith, my friends. They could have inherited that city by their faith, that holy city. Revelation 20 verse 9 says, They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And a fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Sin, sinners, and Satan, they're all destroyed once and for all. Revelation 20, verse 14 says this. This is what the Bible says. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The previously lost, my friends, have been sleeping their first death. But now, guess what? They face their final punishment for sins an eternal loss of existence, eternal separation from their Creator. Now, this leads to a very, very crucial question that we need to ask. What will finally happen to those who did not accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers? We've all heard of hell. The question for us today is, what does the Bible really teach about hell? We're all familiar with the famous verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have Everlasting life. John 3.16 But notice the contrast between perish and everlasting life. What does perish mean? Well, perish means to be destroyed or to no longer exist. That's not the same thing as being in an everlasting life in agony and being eternally tormented in hell. To be burning in hell and facing torment means that you have, you got to have some kind of sort of existence. And yet that's not what John 3.16 says, is it? And notice in our next test, the Bible says this about everlasting punishment and not everlasting punishing. Matthew 25 verse 46 says this, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, the punishment is everlasting, not the punishing. Psalm 37 verse 20 says this, But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord will like the splendor of the metals, shall vanish. And to smoke they shall vanish away. That is what hell is all about. It's the eternal destruction of sinners. It's not their eternal torment. 
But what about the text that talks about eternal fire? Okay, well, we're going to look at a few of those because it's going to tell us about God. For instance, here, in Jude verse 7, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah are suffering from eternal fire? I've never heard of anyone visiting the Holy Land that has seen Sodom and Gomorrah still burning. Have you guys heard of that? I know I haven't. In fact, Peter in the text, in this text makes it clear what happened. 2 Peter 2.6 says this, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, it is clear that eternal here means complete. The consequences are eternal. The fire's work is complete and it is final and its finality lasts forever. Isaiah is talking about the destruction of Edom. He wrote about the fire that would destroy it. Isaiah 34 verses 9 and 10 says, Its streams shall be turned into pitch and its dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. Is Edom still burning? Of course not. It's not. God warned the people of Judah what happened if they kept violating the Sabbath. Jeremiah 17 verse 27 says this, But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. This happened when the Babylonians they came and they destroyed a city. But is the fire still burning in Jerusalem? No. But it didn't go out until it was finished that it until it finished its work, right? It's the same with the lost. When the Bible uses the term forever or eternal, it uses them to mean finality. Now let me show you two other examples, okay? Exodus 21, 6 says this, A slave should serve his master forever. Jonah 2, verse 6, Jonah said he was in the belly of the whale forever. Now, obviously, we don't need to look at the scriptures or in the context which was written because God makes it clear that, that the lost are destroyed forever. Malachi 4, verse 1 says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Now this is what happens to the lost as they attempt to take that holy city. Fire comes down out of heaven and devours them. Revelation 20 verse 9. It destroys them forever and ever. This is the second death and it is what's known as hell or fire of hell. But however sad and tragic the death of the unrighteous is, the story doesn't end on, the, on a bad note. Because we see the same fire destroys Satan. It destroys Satan, the lost, and it purifies and it cleanses the earth. And, and it's preparing it for you, my friends, for you and me to live in it. Yeah, the new earth will be a home that's redeemed. This is a home where Jesus promised us. No human was ever meant to be in that fire. No, Jesus said it himself. He said that this fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's in Matthew 25, verse 41. You see, 
The everlasting fire, it lasts only as long as it takes to destroy the lost. Because it was originally meant only for Satan and his angels. Not, not for us, no. So when it's all over, Satan and the fallen angels and the lost are gone. And guess what? God will create the earth all over again. While we watch from within the holy city and, and all the traces of sin are going to be gone. This is what the future holds for us. A face-to-face -face love relationship with God and for eternity in the earth that, that's made new. This is what God offers us through Jesus. What a wonderful future. Now, how foolish for anyone or anything else when the options are so clear. Friends, after the cleansing fire, there will never again be any more sickness or death or, or sorrow or loss. We're going to live in a perfect world with our Creator. We're not going to have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from at all. We're going to live in a wonderful home that never has to have any locked doors. There's not going to be any famines, no floods, no earthquakes, no plagues, no wars, no pandemic. This is actually what God had originally planned for all of us. And when it's all said and done, God's original plan is going to be in place again. And it's going to last forever. God's plan will never, ever end. What a promise, my friends. What a hope. What a future that God has planned for you and me. So I beg you, I ask you, my friends, to so choose it right now. So choose it right now, won't you? Don't wait a moment longer. Why live in fear or doubt? God has a fantastic future waiting for you. I have an illustration for you. I'm going to tell you this story here. Someone once wrote a story about a man who was placed before two doors, and he was told that behind one door was a kind and, and beautiful woman whom he could have as his wife. Behind the other was a ferocious tiger. He had to choose. One meant love, the other death. The only problem is he didn't know which was which. He didn't know which door was which. He was completely in the dark. So he had to guess one or the other. Friends, for us, this, the choice is just as stark. Love and eternal life with Jesus in heaven or death and loss of existence for eternity. But the wonderful news is this, my friends, you don't have to guess which is the right door. Because guess what? Jesus himself says this. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's John 10, 9. Choose. Choose Jesus right now, my friend. And, you, and you've chosen the door to the holy city to eternity with Jesus. I used to be confused and troubled about why God had the millennium. I mean, what purpose did it play? Then, the light dawned. By the millennium, God shows that, that if Satan and the lost were given a second chance, they would make the same decision to reject the Savior and his plan of redemption. We see it. They're led by the leader, Satan, and their, their plot is to destroy the saved and the new Jerusalem. Their character have not changed at all. 
In the millennium, my friends, there is no time or place to repent or accept the salvation offer today. So I'm telling you right now, now is the time to repent and to accept. The Savior, my friends, is waiting today to accept you and to save you. Your acceptance of Jesus as your only Savior is open to you right now. It's not going to be there in the millennium. Would you like to, to stand to, to your feet if you're sitting in listening to this and say, I want to be on Jesus' side when the millennium takes place. My friends, it's so simple. Choose Jesus. We'll be right back with closing prayer and closing thoughts. My dear friends, we're in a new year. Let's make it our priority. Let's make God our priority, Father. Let's make Him first. Time is running short. We're getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. Friends, time waits for no one. So today is the day to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I ask you, God, that open these people's eyes. We'll close with prayer, my friends. Heavenly Father, what a future that awaits us all. What choice that we have to make, Lord. You've given us so much through Jesus. You've made the way plain for all of us. Father, thank you so much for showing us the future, for, for showing us the door, the door to life. May we all make the right choice right now, Father, and open the door to, to eternity with you. Father, be with those, Lord, that, that really, really need to hear your message, that, that love you and long to, to hear your voice in their life. God, I ask you to be with those loved ones who have lost people throughout these last days and, and, and the holidays, Father. Be with us as we start a new year and that we put you to focus, Father, that we follow your path because we're humans, we don't know. I ask you, God, to be with each and every one of us tonight. Be with our absent loved ones, Father, and be with those who, who are around us. And I ask, Father, to put your hedge of protection around all of us. Father, be with each and every one of us, God, and I ask you to, to be with each and every one of us daily, Lord, especially in these times. It's getting so difficult. I ask all these things, Father, in your Son, Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. My dear friends, thank you once again for tuning in. Uh, I ask you to hold me in your prayers because I'm going to start theology, a degree in theology. I'm going to work on that, and I ask you to Keep me in your prayers and that, that God can rearrange this brain matter of mine so that I may understand. And, and I ask you guys uh, to um, tune in to the next uh, podcast. And with that, may the Lord richly bless you. May the Lord hold you in his hand. May the Lord embrace you. And may his, only, his holy angels protect you. Until next time, this is Robert for our time in God's word. Have a great day. Bye-bye.